So we've been talking with John Gaddis of KO, uh, the uh, very experienced law firm here in Boulder, Colorado, about exits. And we want to have a little bonus uh, talk here about uh, closing, post-closing definitive agreements. Uh, John, this is important, right? Yeah. Once you've got the LOI, again, you're sort of half pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. And so now the real work starts as far as getting the definitive documentation negotiated and drafted. If you've done a good job negotiating the LOI, this can go much more smoothly than if you sort of punt on a lot of these tricky issues and now you've got to try to, that we've talked about previously, and now you've got to negotiate them in, in, within the definitive documentation. Um, but putting the definitive documentation together oftentimes can take weeks. Uh, you know, I, people will ask me, okay, from the time you have a signed LOI to the time you've, you've sort of got a signed purchase agreement, it can take 60 days. Sometimes it can take 90 days. I mean, it, it, it's not a particularly quick process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can go more quickly, but that's probably the, the exception rather than the rule. Right. Um, and so, you know, you've got to get your board and shareholder consents for these transactions. Um, uh, it's important for the board to have experienced, uh, transactional counsel to help them make sure that they're complying with their fiduciary duties and obligations in connection with the sale. Is that a separate, uh, legal team for the board? Um, no. So the company counsel should, shouldn't, and does help with that. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's something that, that you don't have to, thankfully, I mean, from a company's seller standpoint, bad from a lawyer standpoint, but, uh, <laughs> thankfully, uh, you don't need to hire a separate counsel for that. Okay. Um, and so typically what will happen is you'll then negotiate the definitive documents, and sometimes the, the purchase agreement will be a simultaneous sign and close, mm-hmm. which means the day that you sign the purchase agreement is the day that the money changes hands and the transaction is done. Sometimes, however, and probably what's more typical, is you have a gap period between signing the, the definitive documentation and closing. During that gap period, you know, the parties have all signed the purchase agreement. They're all committed to the purchase agreement pending um, certain closing conditions being met. But during that gap period, oftentimes the seller is out getting third-party contractual consents. Mm-hmm. A lot of times a, a, a seller's business, whether it uh, you know, has a bunch of customer contracts, or uh, lease agreements, mm-hmm. sort of the day-to-day commercial agreements that the business has, and to essentially transfer those to the buyer, there has to you have to go through a consent process, mm-hmm. and so most of the time that's done during a gap period between signing and closing. Um, from the seller standpoint, you probably rather try to get those consents during the gap period because you know you've already signed the deal, mm-hmm. you've already got a deal in place pending again hitting those certain closing conditions. So you don't have to worry about going to your customers mm-hmm. and saying, hey, we've got a deal. Will you consent to, to, to move your contract to the buyer? And then the buyer sort of saying, you know what, we don't want to do the deal anymore. Right? That's a real risk. But if you do it during the gap period between signing and closing, you sort of eliminate a lot of that same risk. Right, right. Okay. Um, and so you know, securing those third-party consents is, is important. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one one thing as an aside about your legal counsel is there's different approaches to getting a deal done. I was in a training once where 
the instructor said, hey, if there's 100 deal points and you can win 55, 60, 65 of those deal points, you're doing a good job for your client. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is the stupidest thing I've heard because if your client cares about five things or seven things, mm -hmm. and those are the things that are going to impact the client's bottom line, don't you don't need to spend the time and money negotiating 100 points. Just make sure you win those five points. Right. Right. People who, you know, if you're selling a software company and you're heavily negotiating environment, a compliance with environmental laws rep, mm -hmm. it's like, come on, man, what's the point? Yeah. Right? Because uh, software companies don't have environmental problems. Right. Uh, and so just trying to find a sort of a practical... Um, Approaching the, the negotiation of the definitive documentation from a real practical standpoint, mm -hmm. I think, is important. And I found that that reduces transaction costs yeah. as well, which is, which is important for the seller. What else you got here, John? Um, you know, I, I, we talked a little bit about employment agreements. Yeah. Uh, as you're uh, negotiating the definitive documents, you want to make sure that you're also negotiating a definitive employment or consulting agreement that contains mm -hmm. the provisions that are important to you as a seller mm -hmm. uh, post-close, so including things like severance mm -hmm. um, and sort of who you're going to be reporting to and who's mm -hmm. and who's report you know who uh, is reporting to you. Um, those are those are important uh, important things. And then lastly, um, once you've signed and closed, there are the indemnification obligation will survive for some period of time. And so think about if, if you're a company that's got 35, 40, 50 shareholders, think about uh, appointing one person, a stockholder representative, who speaks on behalf of all of the shareholders. Mm -hmm. The buyers like that because then they know, hey, there's this one person who mm -hmm. speaks for all of the sellers. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also streamlines, you know, it streamlines uh, efficiency, and and so think about if you do have a bunch of shareholders, maybe making one a stockholder or shareholder representative, and allowing them to uh, negotiate with the buyer over any post closing claims or issues that may pop up. Now, John, is that? Is that a treasured role, or are we talking no. about becoming the president of your homeowner association? Yes, I, I think it's probably the latter. <laughs> it's particularly the latter for people who are going to work for the buyer after close. Right. Because you don't want to be in the situation where you're an employee of this company and you're arguing and you're arguing and fighting over indemnification yeah. claims under the purchase agreement. Right. Um, there, one of my uh, former law partners, Paul Koenig, Started up a company called SRS Acquiacom, which does shareholder rep provides shareholder representative services. So mm -hmm. You can actually outsource that if, mm -hmm. if that's something that uh, that interests you. Again, you don't probably don't need a shareholder representative if you don't have a def a, defer a a diffused shareholder base. Mm -hmm. uh, if you do have a sh diffused shareholder base, though, it makes life easier. So yeah. something to think about. Yeah, that's great advice, John. Um, fantastic. Uh, thank you again uh, for being on. For anyone who's interested in uh, what KO does or uh, talking with John, I'd recommend go check out uh, kofirm.com. Uh, the, the team there is excellent. They're right downtown Boulder. It's nice to have uh, legal counsel nearby. Uh, sometimes you can go... Uh, come do a podcast. Yeah, we come do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again, John. If you liked uh, what you heard today, 
Uh, make sure that you give us a review, uh, follow, share, give us a good rating, and uh, every bit helps us to bring even uh, more content, more interesting insights about entrepreneurship and investing uh, to you. So uh, thank you very much, John. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now.